This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Angela Chrysostomo, a graduate student in the Urban Design Program at GSAP. I'm speaking with Dr. Konjan Yu, who is delivering the annual Kenneth Frampton Endowed Lecture at the school on October 29th, 2018. Dr. Yu is the founder and principal of Terrenscape. Dr. Yu's research on ecological security patterns in sponge cities has been adopted in various ways in urban discourse, and more specifically, by the Chinese government as the basis for national land use planning. Dr. Yu is also the founder of the College of Architecture and Landscape at Peking University. Through the college, he reinforces the necessity of a multidisciplinary approach to address the urgent urban and ecological issues of our time. We're pleased and excited to have you today. Thank you for speaking with us. My pleasure. Most striking in your work and writing is a sense of optimism about the ability of design to facilitate or mediate um, relationships between land and people. Yet today, our social and our professional lives are caught between a sense of urgency to address environmental issues and a failure to grapple with entrenched patterns of production and consumption. How can design, in the broadest sense, potentially challenge business-as-usual practices that shape our world. More specifically, you often work with policymakers and other decision leaders. How do you manage these conflicts and generate productive design discussion? Yes, you have raised a very important question. We, as an architect, as a planner, as a designer, actually we are powerless. You know, We don't have any power to, to change this world. But if we can convince the decision maker, who is, you know, particularly in China, it's a centralized government. Virtually, you can do anything, right? So policy, you can change the policy. Through changing the policy, you actually can change the, 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 the landscape, the urban form, the system, the transportation system, the, the, the water management system. So I think as a designer, as a planner today, you really have to work with politicians. Uh, but here in America, certainly the politician, the political is a is a different sense. In China, is a top-down system. So you you have to convince them, the mayor, the governors, even the president. Uh, said what I have done in the past twenty years to try to convince those leadership to do right things, and uh, eventually to realize what you want to do. And I also practice in America. I have do several projects here in America, like Boston, Chinatown Park, and the Seattle International Hinghai Park, uh, which been realized. And I find it a different way. Here you have to convince the public, the voters. Uh, so, but, uh, but in both cases, polit- uh, design is, is a kind of politics. Uh, you have to make work. You have, you have to make it so powerful, so policy maker, and, uh, uh, and it's the whole society to, to understand you, to, to, to make, uh, to put your idea into functional, into work. In your recent essay in the Harvard Design Magazine, you state that 75% of China's land must be protected from urbanization. Um, could you be um, more specific about the term urbanization? And could you unpack that term for us a little bit. Um, and why 75%? Back 
in 1992 to 95 at the Harvard JSD Graduate School of Design during my dissertation. I focus on these issues. At that time, I've, I feel that urbanization will pick up in China. At that time, this will be speed up. Uh, uh, actually, it happened, you know, 1% urbanization, which means 1% of population moved to the city. It's a process of immigration. So in narrow sense, urbanization means immigrant, you know, from rural to urban, you know, in the city, from villages to the city. But that's a narrow, narrow sense of urbanization. And urbanization can be, have a broader sense, you know, yeah, that can be about education, can be a change of lifestyle. So in overall, it's a change of lifestyle, you know, urban life. Yeah, we're not, for, for, for 5,000 years, the Chinese uh, uh, society is basically agricultural, you know, in rural villages, you know. Uh, so we are quite uh, uh, living in a kind of balance between, you know, nature and uh, uh, cultivation is a kind of balance. But uh, suddenly, uh, in the past 40 years, uh, the speed, the unprecedented speed of urbanization took over all the fertile land. About 10% of most fertile arable land being took over by urbanization, built over by the spread of urban development. Uh, roughly four times in terms of area being built in China. Uh, some cities like Beijing, Shanghai, even 700% expanded in just 40 years. And so the population growth, urban population grow from uh, less than 20% to now 58%. So it's unprecedented, massive immigrant, massive change, massive transformation. And in this process, urban sprawl, following the, the, the infrastructure, the highways, the, 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 the roads, the pipelines, urban sprawl, the land's been uh, relentlessly been taken over by pavement, by buildings, by road, by infrastructure. So that's why it is important to protect those most sensitive ecological areas or ecological zones ecosystems, including wetland, forestry, and also agricultural land, because China is really very meager resources in terms of agriculture. Only 10% of the national land is arable, which is, you know, most of the area is mountainous. And China only have 8% of fresh water of the whole globe. But we have to feed 20% of the population. So that's why come out the idea of security pattern, which means we need to protect the minimum amount of natural resources, which are, are, are most effective in terms of protection of natural process, habitat, protection of biodiversity, and also uh, agricultural and arable fertile land. Now this come out, the idea, the security pattern, the minimum amount and the 
It's a strategic point. It's a strategic relationship. It's a critical or a strategic pattern of of the landscape. You know, it's not about. It's not just about amount. You know, amount didn't tell anything. It's about the pattern. So that's the come out the idea of security pattern across a scale, from national scale to regional and to the to the local scale. Now, seventy percent means that most of the ecologically sensitive areas, like the mountainous area, like the river corridors, like wetland, like a, a forest, be protected from being taken over by urban development.、Uh, that's based on、uh, GIS geographical analysis.、Uh, why seventy percent? Is because this area are the most sensitive areas.、Uh, certainly, you can take you know seven point five percent or seventeen seventy one percent, but but that doesn't matter. Which means seventy percent will including the most sensitive, critical area and the ideally the ideal pattern of the landscape be protected.、Um, in contemporary urban and architectural discourse. Landscapes of extraction have been identified as problematic sites or conditions, places, for instance, that have embedded practices of mining, deforestation, agribusiness, and various other forms of urbanization, even sites of violent conflict. What are your thoughts on the role of design in addressing these conditions? What you mentioned, I say, is. This- As a side effect of industrial revolution, you know we we have developed all these industrial technologies, machineries, which are so effective in destroying the nature, so destroying the ecological system.、Uh, even so, they are so effective to fulfill human desire.、Uh, so, the role as a landscape architect, or as or as a designer overall. Is to find a way to minimize the impact of this kind of industrial machine or industrial technology. So when we fulfill our desire, we still want we don't want to give up our comfortability or don't want to give up human desire, right? But certainly we can do wiser. So we can have a better pattern. We can have more. Green design, which means consume minimum energy, minimum material, and minimal labor. So minimum consumption, consumption, and reduce, and also, you know, this reduction will means we can have a wise pattern, wiser design, and wise form, so that people or, or so that man. And nature can live together, can have a harmonious form, a harmonious pattern. So that's I think that's exactly what design means. You know, design means you know to to realize to 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 fulfill human desire. But what a, what a better design, what a good design means that when we fulfill human desire, we not harm or have have less harm on our environment. Now、that's I think is a critical 
uh, uh, this law means that designer is critical. So in 1995, you published your dissertation, um, Ecological Security Patterns in Landscape, and it's been 23 years since. Could you speak a little bit about what ecological security means today um, and how we could perhaps apply those same principles and how we, as a new generation of um, design practitioners, um, can apply it. So ecological security pattern, we put a security here, it means that we are at a crisis of you know, security. We are unsafe. The whole globe, as you can see today, the whole globe is vulnerable. You know, so I borrow the idea of security from, from terrorists or from, from those uh, 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 military or from, uh, from the Cold War. Actually, this war, see, I get this idea from uh, John Nasha. You know, this, uh, he invented this uh, 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 a game theory. He's a key player of game theory. During the Cold War, the, 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 the Soviet Union and the American you know, both have this nuclear power. Both have the nuclear bomb. So then when they discuss, when they negotiate, you know, how much they should cut the nuclear weapon. So each will have to play the card, okay, and come to the point, okay, each will feel comfortable. So that's the security point. So I borrow this idea to, to, to apply to this situation which is human development and nature. Right? We take off all the land for development. So where is the point for the nature to feel comfortable? So that's the point, the balance point. That's a security point. And so the idea is that, okay, and, and this another idea comes from the Go game. You know, the Chinese Go game is a border game. Uh, so it's a black and white. Right? The development, human development or human desire, and it's a natural, it's a natural process. So when you play the goal game, it's basically a planning, a regional or landscape planning. You have to take position where you should develop, where you should protect, and we somehow come to a balance, you know, to figure out what's the optimum, what's a better pattern for both development and conservation or protection to come on the board. Now that's the idea of ecological security pattern. So it's not just one pattern. It could be a couple patterns. It have a different threshold. When you look at the New York stock market these days, it, it drops 5% sometimes, right? It, it's not linear. It's not linear. It's not, not drop you know, 0 0.5, 0 0.1, 0 0.1. Sometimes it's, it's a collapse. So the market collapse, just, just like the environment will collapse at a certain point. Now that point, we'll call this the threshold or the security point. So, and we can identify, if we can identify those point, then we'll be say that we will have fairly effective or fairly efficient pattern to have wise protection and have for wise development. 
Now that's basically the idea of a secular patent. So it's based on the game theory, uh, and also use uh, special analyze, so the GIS, geographical information system, and the imaging processing, and all the big data today, the special data. So we are able to identify those critical uh, security pattern to protect the nature, minimize or impact on the natural system. So that's basically the idea of ecological security pattern. So it's a tool for a wiser planning for development and for natural preservation or natural protection. Do you see the design professions as moving more towards this, you know, this form of progress? Yes, I think the design profession today, uh, you know, before we are so, uh, you know, being attracted to this as objects, beautiful objects, it's a beauty, you know, leading or design. Uh, design means in our profession, you know, create something beautiful form. But sometimes these forms are, are, are fake or, or, or shallow. You know, it's a form meaningless, you know. So as a profession, I think we should go to more the deep form. So it's a more deep form, which means that the form should have ecological base, have ecological relationship. Uh, the building should be energy saving. The landscape should be, you know, sustainable. So all this will be, you know, it's designed, but it's a deep form. You know, human desire and nature will come together. Right? Sometimes in ecology, ecology can be messy. You know, ecological nature can be very messy, but the design can make it ordered, make it beautiful. So that's human, you know, realize his identity, you know, his meanings. So that's why I think as a profession in the future will move toward both you know, ecology and the beauty come together. So this is a form, I call it deep form, not shallow form. It's a form which you have to maintain, you need a lot of energy to, you know, to operate. Those form, I would say, uh, will be obsolete because we are facing a world which are running out of all the resources. Yeah. So we're curious also to know about the operations um, in Terrenscape as well as um, academic discourse and pedagogy at Peking University College of Architecture and Landscape. Do you find um, the work influences each other or perhaps these two worlds cross-pollinate? It's always a question for, for our profession and it's always a dilemma for the, for the academia and for professionals like in America, you will have hard time to define where is a, where is a, where is a line, where is a boundary. You know, we call the interest conflict. Yeah, it's a conflict of interest. But to me, actually, education and practice, uh, they cannot be separated. You, when you look at all the, the the best practitioners and the best educators, you will see they turn out to be the same person. You know, they always have practiced and for design for design I mean architects, landscape architects, urban designers, for this profession, design itself is is an experiment, is a process of experiments. You know, we have failures or success. It just in 
in chemistry, you know, it's chemistry you do experiment. So, you know, those chemistry departments, I mean, the professors and teachers, they have to go to laboratories to do experiment, to tell the truth, to tell, then tell their students, okay, this works, that doesn't work. So practice for all professions are just the laboratories to chemistry or to physics. So why people just don't understand this, you know? So practice for me is doing experiment. So that's why it's so necessary for my teaching. So you can see my students are actually following the way we practice. For example, the planning, the ecological planning at the regional, at the national uh, scales, which is quite unique in my school at the Beijing University or Peking University. And our approach to design, which are called big feet approach, big feet revolution, which means the design based on ecology or ecological design or design ecologies. This has been taught at my school, the Graduate School of Landscape Architecture and the College of Architecture and Landscape. So practice and education, I think, in our profession is inseparable and they will support each other. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.